Well, once again, good morning. We are glad you're here, Grace. I'm excited to be here. My name is Michael. I am the young adult pastor and also the Fremont Campus Middle School pastor. And uh, Zach is with Kate and his family at a wedding. So I get the privilege of beginning our new series, Phantom Faith. And uh, just before we get started, can we give it up for the band one more time for the, man. Our music team is doing an awesome job leading us uh, in worship. And so Phantom Faith might be thinking, interesting title. What does it mean? What are we aiming at? What are we trying to communicate? So Phantom definition is an appearance or illusion without material substance. So it seems like it's there, looks like it's there, but it's not real. And faith is the means by which we receive grace from God, that it's believing God's promises before they happen. So phantom faith. And so maybe there's a faith that we can have that's not real. And I'll begin with this. Uh, Last summer, I went to a uh, Columbus Crew soccer game, and I went with a few friends, and I was in charge of buying the tickets. So everyone kind of paid me, and then I purchased them on my phone. And I was doing the research, finding the cheapest ones I could, and I found this app, never heard of it, wasn't familiar with it, but the tickets were like $10 cheaper than everywhere else. So I'm like, sweet, this is great, saving some money. I buy them, we leave for the game the next day, go to Columbus, we get to the gate at the stadium as we walk up, take out my phone, open the app, have the barcode, he scans it, and he's like, uh, can't let you in. What do you mean you can't let me in? Like, I bought the t-. He said, and so he scans it again, says, yeah, uh, sorry, somebody else has your seats. I'm like, what do you mean someone has my seats? And I showed him, like, the receipt and the invoice on the app, and it's like, I paid for those seats. So he said no. I went to their, like, customer service they had, and uh, they said the same thing, that some sites will sell multiple tickets to the same seat. And so it's basically just a race to who gets there first. And I'm like, there's no way that's allowed. I'm ready to sue somebody. I'm like, man, I, I won in the game. I paid for him. And so long story short, they wouldn't let us in, with, and we had to buy new tickets. And uh, to make matters worse, when I bought the tickets, the people I went with, I told them where I got them from. And they're like, sounds kind of sketchy. You probably shouldn't buy from there. I said, that'll be okay. We'll be fine. And then as I'm being rejected at the gate, I look over and they say it all with their eyes. Like, we told you so. You should have listened. And they were right. I was wrong. But I had confidence that when I went to that game, that there would be seats set aside for me. But when I really needed them, they weren't there. I thought I had real tickets, but you could say they were phantom tickets or I didn't have real tickets. Our fear Greatest fear for not only grace, but for anyone, is that they would go through life thinking that their faith is real when it's not. And so this entire series for the next few weeks, we want to see what God has to say about how to possess and also gauge true faith, whether we have it or not. So Luke chapter 8 is where we're going to be this morning. And before we get into kind of the main portion that we're talking about, I want to set the context what is Jesus doing? What's he talking about? And uh, kind of just see, uh, you know, where we are in Scripture. So Luke chapter 8, verse 4. It says, As a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from every town, he said in a parable. All right, we'll stop there. So Jesus, actually Zach mentioned last week that he would travel from city to city, just drawing attention, crowds. He was gaining some popularity for miracles and just him being a wise teacher. 
And in this situation, the crowd was so large and he was actually on a shore that he kind of uh, backed away from them. He got in a boat, went into the water, sat down in the boat and began teaching to them as they're on land. And so he's doing that and he uses a parable to illustrate his point. And some of you guys probably know, most of you probably know what that is, but a parable is a uh, simple story used to communicate profound truth. So it's, Jesus would present something that was maybe new to them about God or about the kingdom of God, and he would throw alongside of it a story that they were, that they were familiar with or an idea so that they would better understand what he was talking about. And actually, a third of Jesus' teaching in Matthew, Mark, and Luke is parables. So he obviously found them beneficial. He thought they were important, but why would he use them? And he answers that in verse 10, if we skip ahead a few verses. It says, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but to the rest it is in parables, so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand. So partially why Jesus used parables to teach, he wanted to obscure truth to those who rejected him. And I know that may kind of sound um, counter, like how we view God now, but Jesus understood that if they weren't understanding and if they didn't accept the basic truth of who Jesus was, that he was the, the, the he is God, that he is the Messiah, then they weren't going to understand any greater truth that Jesus had for him. And they certainly weren't going to understand the parable or the point that he was trying to communicate. But to the ones who were eager for God, they would benefit from it. Those were the people that Jesus was trying to make sure they understand. And even as I read the Gospels sometimes, like, it seems that he's not being completely like, direct as he could. And it's like, why wouldn't Jesus just be more straightforward? Like, why wouldn't God just remove all doubt, remove all confusion, and just show or reveal himself in, like, the most amazing, undeniable way? Like, you ever thought that? Like, why doesn't God just send down angels to, like, heal everyone? And why doesn't he speak to us and show himself so we can visibly see him? Truth is that God has revealed himself. God has shown himself to be creator of creation, that he's given us his word, and he's given us Jesus, the image of the invisible God. And God doesn't force belief on us. He doesn't force us to follow him. We have that choice. But the thing about knowing truth is it's more about the heart than it is the head. Jesus knew that what these people and what we need is not just information, but we need a heart change. Because naturally, all of us, myself included, as sinful people, we are naturally biased against spiritual authority. Like that's, we are born into this world with just a natural um, just bias against what God has to say in his truth. I don't know if you guys have ever known someone like that, but um, like you've known someone to either dislike or like a person or group so much that no matter what happens, they can't see clearly. You guys know what I mean? Like we're, we're in you know, only, what, a month away from the election. So you probably turn on the TV, you go on Facebook, you see this 24-7 where you have the Republicans watching everything the Democrats do, and no matter what decision they make, it's the wrong one. And then you have the other side, Democrats watching the Republicans going, yeah, yeah, that's great, but our way is better and that's not good enough. You know, no matter what, 
it's not, they're seeing it through their own lens. I remember even at maybe the kind of the opposite end of the spectrum, I had friends in school where their favorite sports teams depended on who played for them. So like, for example, they weren't uh, like Cavs fans, no matter what, win or lose. They were LeBron fans. So wherever he went, that was their team. Pretty annoying, but that was what they did. And uh, no matter what that guy did on or off the court, they would, like, he just, he could do no wrong. So he could play a game and go 0 for 15 shooting, miss everything, have zero points, and they would defend him and go, do you have any idea the confidence that it takes to miss 14 straight shots and continue to shoot? It's like, that's an elite level of confidence. Yeah, okay, got it. I'm telling you, he could literally punch a fan in the face, and they would defend him and go, he's just so passionate. Like, he cares about the game. And uh, physical touch is obviously his love language, so he's just expressing how he feels. Like, that's all he's doing. You know, uh, it, it was crazy. They would defend him no matter what. And as their own emotions or feeling, you know, and, and happens to us as well, those things can cloud our judgment. This, it's sin in our lives. The fact that we are sinful clouds our judgment to see who God really is. And... Uh, we need God to, to, to show himself to us, and we need help from the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, the second half of that verse, says, No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Like Our hearts are so fixed against God that it's even incredible that we can know him, that we can know truth. Like This verse says that we can't even come to the basic conclusion that Jesus is God and Savior without the help of the Holy Spirit. Like that's how just depraved we are in seeing the truth. And so when speaking in parables, those who had an open heart to God would be able to learn. And those who rejected him were confused. And so Jesus, he's on this boat, he's speaking to this large crowd and begins teaching. Verse five through eight. He says, a sower went out to sow a seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seed fell on the rock. When it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground. When it grew up, it produced fruit a hundred times what was sown. As he said this, he called out, Let anyone who has ears to hear Listen, and so Jesus is teaching on the importance of not only hearing, but responding to God's word. And what's funny about this story, um, there's four different types of soil, and it seems like the sower or the farmer or the person throwing the seed, he seems kind of like reckless, right? Like he doesn't have an aim, it's landing on the road, on the thorns, on the rocks, and it's like, can't he, you know, do a little better than that? But what we're going to see is that God is not exclusive in who hears his message. He's not holding back. And in these 11 verses, 5 through 15, we see that Jesus mentions the word hear or heard or hearing six times in 11 verses. If you ever want to know what's important, like in a passage or chapter of Scripture, look at what God is repeating. Like what words does he say over and over? And you can usually find words that that are important to that portion. And here it's hearing. 
that God wants you to hear this message, the message that Jesus showed up on the scene to deliver, one of hope, one that he has come to be our substitute, that he is fully God, fully man, and he died for us. That it's not about trying harder. It's not about being better. It is about accepting the message and submitting to him. Verse 9, then his disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? The disciples, like me, often clueless as to what God is trying to do in their life. And they are, in my opinion, really relatable because they, whenever Jesus spoke, you know, they, they were with him for years, just every second of every day, and they still were just one step behind, actually multiple steps behind the entire way. And they weren't geniuses, and so they, are, they hear the story and go, okay, great farming story, what does that mean? In verse 11, Jesus begins to explain it. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. So he says the seed that's being thrown is the word of God. And it's landing in soil. The soil is our hearts. And he gives different um, responses. But the word of God is God's message. And the most important part of that message, again, is the gospel. That Jesus lived, he died, lived a sinless life, and he paid our penalty that we can't pay ourselves. And if we accept, if we believe in him, that we are able to spend eternity with him forever. And at this time, as they are today, people are already divided on Jesus. That as he's teaching, there's some in the crowd that are skeptical. Some have already believed. Some are not really sure what to think of this Jesus guy. There's mixed responses because he knows that some will accept it. And some will reject it. Uh, some of you guys remember a few months ago in, in February, a group of us from Grace went to Thailand to, uh, to visit our orphanages. And uh, maybe some of you were even on the trip and, or had been before. But um, from the plane ride to Detroit to uh, South Korea, I believe, uh, I sat next to a woman from South Korea. She was on my left and on my right was uh, Clay Blymeyer. Some of you guys might know him. He's a member at Grace. And... Uh, the woman, she, she spoke a little English. It wasn't like great, but enough for us to, to kind of stumble through a conversation. And so she was telling us about, you know, her life and where she was from. And uh, we were doing the same. And it was pretty cool. Clay um, was actually able to ask her like about her faith. He shared the gospel with her. He was telling her about Jesus. And uh, he gave her a bulletin from his Bible, you know, from Grace that he found. And he was just telling her about the church. And this has nothing to do with my point. I'll move on, but I'll tell this real quick. He, uh, at, at the end of the conversation, he said, hey, if you have any questions, like, we want to help. Like, if you have any more Bible or just questions about faith or Jesus, like, here's my phone number. And he wrote his phone number on the bulletin and gave it to her. And I was joking with him afterwards. I said, Clay, you can't be giving your phone number to South Korean women. Like, we are here to support our orphans, not 90 Day Fiance. Like, eyes on the prize, man. Like, get... Let's stay focused. <laughs> this is not what we're here for. And, uh, but again, he's doing that because he's trying to be kind and, and just, you know, um, care about people like God did. But as we were talking to her, one of the things that she told us we had to do was try the king's fruit. And we were like, king's fruit, what is that? It's called durian. Has anyone ever heard of the fruit durian? Anybody? Okay, we have a few. Okay, maybe five, ten-ish. Um, so you guys know. She said, hey, you have to try it. It's great. Okay. 
We go to the orphanage, settle in. The next day, me and Clay go to one of the workers and they're like, hey, uh, we heard durian is really good. Are we able to try this? And immediately, uh, the person we were talking to, she goes, no, 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 no. You won't be trying it. I was like, what do you mean no? Like, do you not have it or are we not allowed? She goes, no, you don't want to try it. It is the smelliest fruit on the planet. Like, and, and she was absolutely right. You would travel places, walk around Thailand, uh, and there are signs on entrances of like hotels and stores that say no durian. Like they won't allow this fruit in some places. And I was even talking to AJ as he was Googling it in between services. And like that fruit is banned in some countries, like in every public trans- transportation, all public stores, because of how smelly and nasty this thing, it, it just reeks. And uh, with that fruit, some people are like, yeah, I love it. And then others are going, no, it's nasty, not for me, no thanks. In the same way you have that response to food, Jesus is also divisive in how people respond to him. Some are saying, yeah, Jesus, you are God, you are who you say you are, I'm going to follow you. And others say, no, not for me, I really don't believe um, who you say you are. And in this parable, Jesus explains four different ways that our heart can respond to the gospel, to his message. So again, the seed is the word of God and the soil is our heart. So the first type of soil describes a hard heart that rejects the gospel. Verse 12 says this, the seed along the path are those who have heard and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So these are people that hear the gospel but immediately reject it. And Satan also has a part in this where he acts quickly to just remove any influence of God's word. He doesn't want us to hear that. And so these are people with their hearts closed against the message. Maybe they just reject, you know, there's no way that God actually came to this earth. They deny any miracles. Like, man, just religion, God is for the weak. It's a crutch. Like, there's no way any of that's real. And they dismiss any just potential validity of, of that message. And maybe they're even ones who were offended by that truth. But Jesus is saying, yeah, if you have a heart like this, Satan is going to erase God's word from your life or attempt to make sure that he replaces God's word with his word. And he's compared to a bird. You guys have probably been to somewhere like Cedar Point where there's just birds everywhere. And so maybe you've like thrown like a French fry on the ground. And then what happens? 1.4 seconds later, you have 20 seagulls attacking the same fry, right? In the same way that birds are quick to, to run or fly after food, Satan also is quick to snatch God's word from people's life. And we don't often think about it, but there is a real enemy. The Bible tells us there is a real enemy that day and night, he is, his goal is that we would not know God. That he doesn't want us to see the truth. And he does that by trying to place fear and doubt and uncertainty into our minds, into our life. So that's the first type of heart. First person, first kind of um, example of responding to the gospel. Someone that rejects it right away. The second soil represents a shallow heart that will turn away from the gospel. Verse 13 says, The seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. 
But having no root, these believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. So this type of soil, Jesus is, you know, kind of using the imagery that the roots don't get deep enough. So they can't keep in moisture, sun dries them out. And when the seed is planted, maybe it begins to, you know, kind of spring up, it begins to grow, but eventually dies. These are people, Jesus says, initially they hear the gospel, they hear the message, and they accept it joyfully. Like, they are excited, they're all about it, they're enthusiastic about the Bible, but then eventually they disengage when life gets tough, and they don't follow him faithfully. And when the slightest disruption comes, they have no roots to dig into to, to hold them secure. And so it's not enough to just joyfully accept it. And unfortunately, um, just being in youth ministry for a few years, we've seen this probably more times to count where students have gone on a trip or, and, and, and this is anybody who may, you know, I claim to make that decision, but students that go on a trip or go to camp and they make this decision and they're all fired up and they're excited about what God's doing and it just seems like they're taking off so quick. But then they go home and it doesn't last. It's a phase. And although they may have been sincere, usually it's built on an emotional experience and not really faith in the right thing. And so when life happens, when they get that rejection letter or when they go through that breakup or when they lose a job, like what are they rooted in? What do they bank on? And it seems what they go back to is a service, not a savior. And they'll say, no, 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 like I'm saved. I remember we were at camp or I was on that trip and it was so emotional and I, 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 I said that prayer and everybody in the room was crying. Like I could feel God in that, in that moment. But what they're clinging to is a moment a memory, a service, not a savior. And unfortunately, we've seen that, or maybe you've seen people leave the church, you've seen people follow God, but then drop him altogether. You've seen people maybe on Facebook or just people that you know, just say, you know what, that's exactly why I left Christianity, or that's why I'm not a Christian anymore. Anybody who says that completely misunderstood the gospel. Because Jesus changes everyone that comes to him, and God will never fail you. So maybe that's people you know, or maybe that's even some of you in here, where you began, or you, you, you've claimed to make this decision, and you started off so sincere, so just <laughs> explosive, and on fire for God, but then it fizzles out, and then you're not walking with him long term. And the problem isn't with other people. The problem isn't, and that's why I left the church, they're just, they're hypocrites, or I don't agree with this stance, or the problem isn't, you know what, uh, you know, one of my family members died, and I just couldn't trust God anymore. That's not the problem. The problem is that whatever decision that they claim to have made wasn't the real deal. It wasn't true faith. Because when you place your faith in Jesus, it, the impact lasts your entire life life. The true sign of saving faith isn't intensity in the beginning, it's endurance to the end. And so that doesn't mean that we never sin. That doesn't mean once you're a Christian, like you are going to be perfect and never doubt God, you're never going to mess up. No, that's not it. But you will believe until the end. So yes, it's true, once saved, always saved, but it's also true, once saved, 
always following. And we see that to be true in Scripture. So that's the second soil. The third soil describes a divided heart that will eventually choke out the gospel. Verse 14 says, As for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. Jesus says that a divided heart will eventually turn away from Jesus because of comfort, because of pleasure in this world. And this is, if I were to guess, this is probably where most of the the United States of America is right now, in this third category, where they may say they're a believer, but their heart is divided elsewhere. And this is probably the most dangerous place to be in because maybe some of you in this room, this might describe you, that you're interested in God, that you want to follow God. You say, yeah, he's important to me. I want to live for him. But when you leave here, your attention is captivated by all these other things. Your mind is constantly consumed in your life day to day. You think more about the bills you have to pay than the God you need to serve. You think more about Um, man, what people think of me. You think about how you already have your entire Sunday mapped out based on the three NFL time slots and watching football. And we, our mind is just consumed. And this divided heart, it's not like a complete rejection of God. But it seems that the word of God takes a back seat in your life. And you see that in just decisions that you make. And so maybe that's you know, some of us like, hey, I, I, I love being at church. I love my family being at church we, where we can hear God's word, where we can sing it, where we can just hear it being taught. But you know what? I, I'd love to be here more. The kids have travel sports. Got to be at volleyball. Got to be at basketball. And you know what? We just have to get our last vacations out of the way and we have to use our other place at the lake and just be there. And, you know, we'd love to be here and, and, and really get committed, but, just, you know, it can't always make it. And so all of these things, before I go on, none of these are bad. Like, it's not wrong to watch football. It's not wrong to pay your bills. It's not wrong to have things in this world. But if you prioritize them over hearing and responding to God's word, then that will reveal itself in how the word of God dies in your life. And some of you, some of us, We won't follow through in obedience because it's too inconvenient, because we're too focused on worldly things. And so it's too inconvenient for us to to spend our time serving other people and loving other people instead of spending time for ourselves. It's too inconvenient for us to um, tell others about our faith, to give God the best part of our day and arrange our day on what brings him the most honor. It's too inconvenient because we're, we're focused on worldly things. And so we can't tithe right now. We can't give because, you know what, we're just saving and we're kind of digging ourselves out. I want to make sure that I have enough, you know, safety. Then we'll start giving. Then we'll start tithing. Or some of us, we're not devoting ourselves to prayer because I'd rather handle it myself. I'll worry about it. I'll take care of it. And this response, this divided heart, It's not like an overnight decision to completely reject God, but what happens is as we continue on in life that God just gets put on the back burner, that we get caught up in all the things we have to do and just worldly things 
And when you look at your time, your purchases, your desires, like you may begin to see, if you really look at your own life, you may see that, yeah, I care more about possessions and comfort than I do Jesus. And Jesus says, don't store up treasures here. They won't last. It's not worth the investment. Because if you're going to be a Christian, you need to understand that you have to make a choice. That you can follow greed, you can follow God. You can follow comfort, or you can follow Christ. Jesus says, yeah, you can run after wealth, after money, after comfort, a nicer car, a better job, a bigger office, this this name brand life. You can do that. But at the end of the day, those are all just things that you worship over me when you shouldn't. And you may go to church, you may say you're a Christian, but Jesus says, if this is you, if your heart is divided, maybe your heart isn't really with me. And so the cares of this world, pleasure, money, riches, worries, they're like thorns that choke out the seed and choke out your desire for God's word and make it tougher for you to trust him. And you'll start pursuing things that contradict what God wants for your life. So these first three uh, responses, first three soils, one that rejects God right away, one that starts well, doesn't finish well, and then the other is just divided and focuses on worldly things. None of those are ideal. But he presents a fourth soil, and this last one describes a genuine believer, an honest heart that holds the gospel and produces fruit. Verse 15. It says, but the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it, and by enduring, produce fruit. Jesus says this good soil, or a right, correct heart, welcomes God's word. It grows in their life. And it says they, they store it away for future times of temptation, testing, and even just daily decisions. That mature Christians, not only do they listen to God's word, not only do they accept it joyfully, but they meditate on it, they think about it, they absorb it, and they follow it as they go through life. He's describing a genuine believer who has correctly responded to God. And they will hold on to it as it produces fruit in their lives. And if you notice, all four of these soils... Only one produces something. Only one is visible that something has happened. And he's saying, you hear God's word and you respond in obedience. That's what fruit is. It's an outward showing of what God has really done on the inside. John 15, 8 says, My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. This is what we're made to do, to know God and to grow and so that others can see what has happened. That, that, <clears throat> excuse me. Wow. Ooh, I'm back. Um, God has changed our lives. And so we show that. We showcase our faith. We act out what God has done. Not that we're saved by our works, but our works show our faith to be genuine. And we need to notice that. And so our response to God's word will then show up by your generosity by how you treat people, by how quickly you forgive people, by how you, um, your excitement for God, your passion, your desire to know him and to grow. And if there isn't any evidence, if you can look at your life and go, yeah, someone probably couldn't tell that I was a believer just by looking at how I spend my day, 
how I live my life, if there's no evidence, then it's likely that Jesus isn't really there. Because the Bible says that the litmus test or kind of the factor that determines whether our faith is genuine is fruit, is our, are we showcasing what God has done in our life? Someone who's truly saved will actively follow Jesus. So you have these four different responses, right? And Jesus says, most of us, all of us can fit into one of these four categories. So now the question is, which one are you? Which soil are you? How have you responded to God's truth? It's kind of like a multiple choice question. Four different answers. There's only one correct one. That Jesus is saying, look, you can be one, two, three, or four. You can reject me. You can start well. You can have a divided heart. Or you can respond correctly to my words. And the last one is the only one that is a right response to God. And so this whole series, we want you guys looking at your own life and seeing if God's word has truly taken effect in your life. And, and by the way, when asking this question, like as you're kind of evaluating yourself, which we want you guys to kind of think and kind of analyze, okay, what, does, what place or how much weight does God's word hold in my life? Don't compare yourself to others. Don't like base, or don't base whether you're saved or not off somebody else's faith. Like, don't go, oh, man, uh, that, I mean, look at them and look at me. There's no way I'm saved. I don't have the whole book of Leviticus memorized. Like, there's no way I can be a Christian. I mean, look at them. They're definitely a Christian. Don't do that. Instead, gauge yourself and ask, does God's word have a powerful influence in my life? Does it hold weight in my decision-making, in my marriage, in my relationships, in my conversation? in my budget, in my time? Am I eager to hear God and his word? Can I point to recent decisions that I have made that are solely based off of my faith? That because of what God has taught me and what he's teaching me, I made that decision or I took that path. Are you growing? Do you know God more today than you knew him a year ago if you're a believer? Because if you really have heard and if you really have responded to God's word, then those things should be happening. And for those of us who haven't made that decision, God is freely offering eternal life to everyone. That he wants everyone to hear and his message is not just for a select group of people, but it's for everyone who is willing to listen and willing to accept. And to receive that, it's not based on if you're a good person, if you uh, do X, Y, and Z, if you can kind of work your way up to God. Bible tells us that we receive grace by faith, that we believe that Jesus is God, that he lived a perfect life, sacrificed himself to pay our penalty, to pay our sin, and he rose three days later, showing that he can defeat death and spiritual death in our own lives. And if we place our full faith and full trust in him, then we are forgiven. Then we're made new and we can spend eternity with him. And once making that decision, once initially responding, it doesn't just end there. We move forward knowing that our foundation is grounded on the truth 
of Jesus. And that's how we live our life. Constantly open and responsive to what God is trying to tell us in his word. And, and if you haven't made that decision, if you're in this room and you're thinking, I have no idea where I would spend eternity if I died tonight. I don't know where I stand with God. I don't really know what this means. All I know is a guy has been up here 30 minutes talking about soil. Uh, what do I do? We want to help you. Come find me. Come find Pastor AJ, Blaine, someone on staff, and we want to help you know your creator and really know what he wants for you and what it means to have a saving faith in Jesus. So let's go ahead and pray as we, uh, as we continue. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. God, you have shown yourself to us. And God, it's just amazing that we're able to know truth in spite of our sin. And God, you show us these different responses. And I pray that we would be people who are open, who are not closed off to the truth. But God, we respond to you and we want to know you even more. And I pray if there's anyone in this room that hasn't made that decision, God, that they would just put away worldly things, that they would realize that life is not about us, it's about you and your glory and us knowing you and making you more known. And God, I pray that as we go through this series and as we see what you have to say in your word, that we would have a real, genuine, authentic faith in your son, Jesus that it's not in our works, it's not about in how good we are, it's not about us just going to church or claiming to be a Christian. It is the fact that we can do nothing outside of your son, Jesus, and help us to understand that. God, I thank you for, again, allowing us to be here and to worship you freely. In your name.